It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. And basketball time to go. Love picks up Curry. And one. Welcome back to the club. Well, the season has begun and we got to watch the Cavs lose to the Toronto Raptors 105-108. to It really felt like we lost to the refs more than anything, but we'll get into that. After taking a couple of days to digest what happened, we definitely have thoughts, and we'll do our best to keep our no-swearing policy alive for this episode. Right, Colin? I'll try my best, Adam, but it will be difficult. The team showed a lot of heart and executed well at times, but that is not how we wanted the first game of the season to go down. There's a lot to figure out with this frustrating loss, but what were your biggest takeaways from the game? You know, I'm going to try to open it up with a positive and a negative. I thought overall the team looked like it executed well on offense at times, like it ran good sets, and they were able to score when they got their shots off. And on that note, a huge positive for me that you and I were super surprised by was Jetty. Jetty showed up and nailed a few threes and looked confident on the offensive side of the floor and was able to hold up a little bit on defense. So I was really pleasantly surprised by that. Now we've seen this in the past with Jetty. He starts off hot at the beginning of the season. Maybe this year he'll change his stripes as they say. It's the Tigers, right? Tigers. Can they change their stripes? So maybe Jetty will keep that going. That would be great for the team on the negative side it kind of goes without saying is that Darius Garland getting hurt. He didn't look super great against Toronto in the first half. He was pressing a lot. Some of his choices in his shots were not super well planned or thought out. And then on top of that, he gets poked in the eye by Gary Trent Jr. Because Gary Trent Jr. doesn't know how to play defense. So he just pokes dudes in the eye. So that was my negative, probably the biggest negative of, of besides the lost, was that Darius got hurt. And hopefully he'll recover okay. It seems like it's just a lacerated eyelid and his actual eye itself isn't hurt. But those were two of my larger takeaways. What were some of yours, Adam? Well, yeah, I'll start right with Garland. It was definitely scary. I think as a fan... If you understand kind of the worst case scenarios that can happen in a basketball game, that is at the top. Any eye injury, head injury like that, it's scary. It could be your career. And the angle of incident that he came at him with his hand could easily have popped his eye out or gouged his eye out. You don't know about fingernail length or any of that. And the fact that the guy was on the floor for as long as he was, the 
the timeout, the TV timeout took as long as it did, and he was still on the ground dealing with the issue when they came back many minutes later, we all knew it was bad. So I'm thrilled that he has his eyeball. I've seen instances where my, I, I had an animal once that had its eye just about gouged out, and it's amazing how the eye can heal. But unfortunately, it can heal poorly, and it's still you may never really get the same consistency out of it again. So I think for me, and this is something I knew I would want to bring up for today's episode, the officiating in this sport is becoming something that almost makes me not be able to watch the game. I know there are a lot of people that are not into the NBA anymore because of politics or social whatever. I I don't subscribe to any of that. It isn't going on during the game. For me the biggest issues come from the lack of consistency from the play calling from the refs and the fact that they have one job to do, which is to keep the players consistent with knowing what a foul is, where that line is drawn. Okay. Okay. You can't go any further than this because if you do, we're going to start seeing injuries and something that you mentioned before we started this, this episode, they really didn't pick up, their calls against the Raptors until after that injury had occurred. Mm-hmm. And as a Cavs fan, we know that we don't get calls whether we're home or away. It's very frustrating. I don't know when, as a team, we frustrated the refs, but they just don't like us. <laughs> I mean, that's just simply that something I feel. I've been a fan of other teams in the NBA, and I've never felt this aggrieved uh, when it comes to the officiating as a Cavs fan. But... Knowing that the Raptors organization is, you know, as this team is constructed, they are known to be handsy to a degree of being dangerous. I mean, Austin Carr, that was the first thing that he said. I am tired of seeing some teams get away with murder basically out there on the court. And I, I'll pass it back to you. I'm curious what you have to say about it. I've looked it up. I can't find it. I know, I know it's somewhere in reality here. I swear the NBA decided years ago that any incidental contact to the head is at least a flagrant one. And the fact that the flagrant foul, when I look up flagrant fouls in NBA officiating, flagrant one penalty, unnecessary contact committed by a player against an opponent. That's just a flagrant one. That's all it is, unnecessary contact. I would call that play unnecessary. He went for the ball, yes, but he didn't have to. And he went dangerously close to his face, which he didn't have to do. A flagrant two penalty is a hit to opponent's groin, violent swing, or hard contact to an opponent's head. I know it was not one of those standard plays that you see where somebody like swings underneath the basket or something like that, Mm -hmm. but it was an unnecessary play that caused a serious injury to a player's head, and they called nothing. Why was there no call at all, let alone no flagrant one? I don't understand. I don't understand that either. I I was kind of listening to some of our fellow Cavs folks who have other uh, podcasts and and their reaction, and they brought up the refs as well. They didn't bring up the fact that it possibly could have been a flagrant. I don't understand what a flagrant is anymore. I understand there was incidental contact, but then later in the game, one of the Raptors players hit Mitchell, I believe, in the head, and that itself is a flagrant. So there should have been at least one flagrant call for sure, and this should have at least been reviewed because in both instances it should have been reviewed. 
there were countless games last year that you and I watched where all of a sudden Jared Allen would get a flagrant call against them. It wasn't a, a lot, but they would review the call and then they would either look to see if it was a flagrant or not. And some of the times they were calling flagrants against Jared because he goes up for a lot of blocks. So I agree. There was a weird mindset or lull in the officiating in this game that felt like these specific refs needed seven or eight more preseason games. They were not awake during this game at all. As you brought up, they really didn't change their mentality until Darius got hurt. It seems as though there were about seven chances for the the Cavs at the line. So they got seven free throw attempts versus 19 for the Raptors in the first half. I actually watched the first half of the game today just to kind of go back and torture myself. The Raptors are a good defensive team. So yes, some of those calls that the Cavs should have gotten or they would have gotten against other opponents, you might not get against the Raptors because they are more defensively sound. But there were a few instances where there were ticky-tacky calls against the Cavs for no reason, where they had solid positioning. And for whatever reason, they're just calling it. Then with the Cavs, they would drive in. Mitchell got hacked a few times in the first half, nothing. And we saw how Donovan is able to get to the places he wants to go in a very dominant manner. And really the only way to stop him is to foul him. And there were two or three instances where he had a layup or, you know, a shot at the rim where there's clearly a foul, nothing. And Allen was fouled quite a few times during that game while he was trying to get positioning and rebounding. And again, nothing called because they're just allowing this to happen. I don't consider a team to be a good defensive team when they play like that. I consider that team to be a mediocre defensive team that gets away with murder. We were texting back and forth during the game, and I know you were giving them more credit in the first half than I was, and maybe that maybe they deserved it, but I had a really hard time giving them any credit because of the, the disparity between the calls. Oh, yeah. yeah. We were getting hacked left and right, and nothing was being called. Meanwhile, we'd barely look at them and they'd make a, a call. You're already in the hole anyway playing it on the road. I understand that you just naturally get home calls your way, but like you said, it, it felt like the refs were not awake. Like they needed more prep to start the season and that they were not ready to call the game. But at the same time, they were calling it on one half of the court. So really, I don't have an answer other than to say that I think that the NBA has always had a policy of have the calls lean towards the home team. And for whatever reason, I think Austin Carr hit it on the, on the head. They foul. It's like in, in football, you can't call holding all the time because you'd call it on every single play, you know? So clearly they're doing these things with their hands so much that the refs are just deciding, okay, well, we're going to let those things go, but that's not fair. That's not consistency within the game. You need all the teams have to have that ability to do that. Or, you know, there needs to be some penalty to, to playing that way. For me, there's a way to call it where you 
call that physicality out within the first five or eight minutes. We've seen this in games before where, yes, they might consider it ticky-tacky, but guess what? It's going to be ticky-tacky on both sides for a little little while before you all start understanding that grabbing and holding is not going to be permitted tonight, right? And I actually wrote this down when I rewatched this morning. Dean Wade had a drive to the basket in the first quarter around, uh, I believe there were around five minutes left. He drove and put the ball up and got a shot off in spite of the fact that he got knocked around two or three times by the Toronto Raptors defenders in the paint. And the refs just were like, cool, nice basket there, Dean. Good job. It was like, what is going on here? Like, clearly they were surprised that Wade even drove. And then they were shocked that the Raptors, basically their defense, because they don't have any actual rim protectors. It's all six, eight dudes who weigh less than you and I do. They just were just hitting their arms or they would, they did a ton of like pushing the body underneath their arms to try to push them away from the basket. There was a ton of fouls like that. And it's like, that's not, None of those were called until the second half after Darius went down. If he had manned up on him defensively and they were scrapping back and forth and he was trying to get, you know, trying to stop him from inbounding the pass, that's one thing. Oh, incidental contact. You you got caught up in each other. Fine, fine. This is mm-hmm. a cheap shot. It's out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Garland didn't even see him coming. It's just all of a sudden he's looking one direction and all of a sudden a hand comes out of nowhere and hits you in the face. I do not get how that's not even a foul. We just had the ball the next thing I knew. Garland was in the locker room and we were dribbling the ball up the court. Like that, you can do that? You can, you can go for the ball and foul somebody in the face and they won't call anything at all? Yeah, and... I was thinking about this as well because it was Gary Trent Jr. who committed the foul in our, you know, and he is the Raptors' worst defender. I mean, he's worse than Van Fleet, who is 6-0. And this is what happens when you bring in a guy like a, a Gary Trent Jr., a player like that, who isn't known as a good defender, and you say, you need to do certain things. You need to act a certain way to stay on this team. You need to have a certain mentality. Well, but if he's not coordinated enough and not able to be defensively sound enough, this is what happens. Injuries happen because this player all of a sudden feels the weight of, oh, I need to perform defensively and do these things, but he's not good enough to do it. So sloppiness happens. It also felt like one of those games that, like, like an all-star game or something, where n- nothing really mattered, and, and people, the spacing was weird, and people were kind of going for plays that normally they, they wouldn't do at that stage in the game. Like, to go for an inbound pass steal in that moment isn't, it just for the flow of the game made no sense. It was like they had this mentality out there that could do anything they wanted to do, and that was based on what the refs had provided to them. They were doing full court press uh, within the first five minutes of the game. Well, getting back into what the Cavs did or did not do, it was great to see Jetty shine. 
we know what we're going to get with Jetty Osman. We've been critical of him in our podcast, but I think we've also praised him where we feel the praise is due. He's an amazing three-point shooter, and when he gets streaky in a positive direction, everybody wants him on their team. He's one of those guys that you'd love to have come off your bench when he's that way because all of a sudden you got 20 points off your bench that night. For me, I chuckled a little bit because he was somebody I brought up in our Jackson interview. It was that question of like, you know, could he contribute? Could he be one of those guys that is a surprise and steps up on this team? And I think even the way that we asked that question to Jackson, I I think was a little bit misleading. I think he felt that we were talking more about somebody that would step up into the starting five. For me, it's really that question of, Who benefits the most from this reorganization of talent on this team? Who now maybe doesn't have to do as much, but is going to be kind of standing in all the right places when the ball needs to go somewhere. And on the first night, that happened to Jetty. And I think that's one of the exciting things about this team. There are several players like that off of our bench any given night. One being someone in Levert that I think should be coming off our bench. So that might be a good quick little segue. What did you think about them starting Levert, um, getting the starting job over Okoro? Especially after Cleveland.com dropped that Okoro expose about everything he'd been doing in the offseason and all the, the last three years of the Cavs putting a lot into his shot. To me, they've been kind of setting things up for the last several weeks to say, yeah, this is Okoro's job. And I was a little surprised that it wasn't. Well, what's funny is I listened to the the Wine and Gold podcast, and even though Fedor wrote that piece, he still thought that Levert would start because of the way that JB was kind of reacting in some of those questions and some of the media availability after practices. And they did kind of push Levert during the actual media day about how he was healthy and all these things were happening. And... I understand why he's the starter. I still think Isaac has the ability to have more starts for the entire season, mainly because at this point, in this one game, Isaac didn't look super great. Levert looked solid. So it's still a toss-up to me because I could see where now that Darius is hurt, that all of a sudden JB wants... Levert's offensive ability to come off the bench to help the bench unit out more. And all of a sudden, against Chicago this weekend and the Wizards, Isaac's going to start because he wants Levert to act as more of a sixth man. I could totally see that. Really, these two guys are going to keep battling it out. But you and I both hope that Isaac has the actual chance to become the starting three because of his overall youth his skill set his defensive ways I just think will help this squad more down the road yeah and I agree with that I I don't know if I would say that Levert had a better game I think that he played 35 minutes and was two for seven from the field and um, I'd have to kind of go back and watch specifically a lot of the time that he's on on the court. I know when I was watching the game, I felt like there were some holes defensively that I, maybe I was looking for it, you know, because I've been expecting that we would have defensive liability with Levert, Mitchell and Garland out on the court at the same time. Well, we didn't get to see that for very long because of Garland's injury. And as you said, Garland had a horrible game. It reminded me of those days when I used to play just pick up basketball that some days you just kind of feel like 
it's not going to happen or that you have the worst of luck that day, that everything that could go wrong would go wrong. And it felt like that kind of game for Garland. But as far as Levert is concerned, I didn't, I wasn't all that excited about what I saw from him out there. I thought he played a lot of minutes considering Okoro only played 12. I thought JB's rotations were a little uninspiring. And I don't know if that's because once Garland didn't uh, start the game well and then went out early with injury, that changed his mindset. But in the first half, I felt like I was concerned Mitchell might be hurt because he wasn't out there very much. There were just a few other players that, to me, were missing in action for most of the game. Love, Okoro. It's the first game, and they got to get their flow together. But I was a little surprised that, to me, the rotations were clunky. They just They were not as smooth as I expected them to be. Yeah, I th- I thought there was definitely some weird chemistry, lack of chemistry, and I think part of it was that you know they didn't play a lot of these guys didn't play the last preseason game, so they were probably a little out of it or out of sorts. Isaac, he just got under twelve minutes of playing time, committed a turnover. His overall look in the game wasn't super great because he committed a few fouls right away as well. Some of them I would say two of them weren't really fouls. But I don't know how much of a chance he got to maybe right the ship in the second half. And I I am very curious to see what that second unit looks on the floor with Wade and Isaac and Love because I would say Love is still the best scorer out of those three options, but that's such a different mindset than the starting unit where the starting unit you have two primary guards who are really moving everything offensively where then if you have Love as the primary offensive hub in the second unit, well, that's your power forward. So the spacing, there's still solid spacing because Love is a, is a great shooter, but it's still working differently. So I just really hope that the coaching staff does their best to make sure that Levert and Isaac look more comfortable, period. Everybody only looked comfortable all at the same time when Mitchell started taking over which is cool because I thought Mitchell was better than I even imagined but it took a little while you know that third quarter was great but it took a little while well the third quarter was great but then he didn't have anything left in the fourth and I thought that Mobley was absent in the second half there were definitely some things that just didn't happen for the Cavs and I don't know if they just Felt a little shell-shocked after Garland's injury. It sounded like people were pretty shook up to see him that hurt. Didn't realize it was that severe of a problem until um, it was clear that it was. And I think, too, now with that injury probably going to last for at least a few games, I don't know how, how he'll come back quickly from that. I don't know the, the length it takes to heal the inside of your eyelid being lacerated. <laughs> you could definitely see Mitchell move into the point guard position, Levert, shift into the shooting guard position and then the three is open for Akuro or Jetty or Wade to to fill that spot in the meantime. The first thought I had the minute Garland went down was how much I hadn't really thought about how the point guard position is really not that secure. And it's no offense to Neto, but right now because Rubio is out and we don't know when his return Mm. is coming, we're a little thinner there than I had really thought about because you you know you know you have Rubio but you don't 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Neto looked a little off, and I think that it definitely threw a wrench in the rest of the rotation because I don't think Neto was even in a play in that game. I think that they just kind of went, all right, Donovan, let's see what you can do. And he did show up. You're right. He was a little gassed in the fourth. But at the same time, we never watched jazz games unless they played the Cavs. Mitchell was bigger than I realized. Like, maybe it was because he was playing against the Raptors, who all have 6'8 dudes who are super lean. And Mitchell is just built like a tank. I mean, he looks like a linebacker at times. He has a lot of muscle mass. And his physicality was just much more apparent in watching him play for us because it didn't really remind me of LeBron in the sense of like everything that he was doing, but it was LeBron-esque in the sense of, as I mentioned earlier, when he wanted to get to a spot, he got there. And he did it in certain ways. He, He does play a little more like, Dwayne Wade, not Dean Wade. And I was really intrigued by that because, you know, you hear all these comparisons of other players who, especially when they play in the Western Conference, and you're like, oh, that's okay, sure. But him actually being on the Cavs made me realize, oh, there's a lot more of a Venn diagram overlap in their game than than you would think. Well, I would only say that I felt like Mitchell's defense also was impressive at least to start the game he had some stops and the fact that he had nine assists that to me was something I was noticing as the game progressed once Garland went out I saw him take over that field general role and started distributing the ball around like you I didn't watch a lot of jazz games I have no idea kind of how they ran offensively I know they had a couple of scorers there along with him but I think he was the predominant one he was the one they looked to in that regard being on a team like the Cavs there's a lot of options around him here where he should see an increase to his assists, especially now that he'll be moving into the point guard position for the next few games. So I was just happy to see that because if he can get close to 10, if he can average close to 10 through the whole year, along with Garland once he comes back, like I I said in a previous podcast, that ensures a team getting closer to 30 or 40 assists a night, which is you know the secret sauce to winning games. We always talked about how when Sexton was here, how they really needed to bump up their assist levels, both of them. And Darius obviously did that, and Sexton did a little bit, and then he got hurt. I have no doubt that the two of them could average 10 a night if they're really humming. I think last year I, I counted like all the games that we had over 40 assists we won. Once you hit 40, it's like that secret ingredient of like, oh yeah, you can have a lot of other mistakes. But just the fact that you were distributing the ball that well and so many people got involved. I mean, I think last year we had six or seven guys in double digits some games. It was just really, that's what you want. So this weekend, the Cavs open up at home against the Wizards. You are going to the Wizards game. I'm not jealous. What? Who said I was jealous? And I just wanted to ask you, what are you hoping to see well, I want to see a win. You know, you're coming home. It's it's the first home game of the year. I think to be successful in this league, you've got to win your home games no matter what. And I know that seems like a very obvious statement. But nowadays, you know, even the really good teams, they don't have a great road record. But they only lose a couple at home, so it makes a big difference. 
So I think that uh, just to start out the year with a win uh, at home is, is such a big thing for the team and for the fans. That's my, my biggest hope is that they're going to scrap something together and get a win. I would say what I'm looking for from the players' perspectives when I go to the game, they need to start being more accountable. Already, the very first game I was seeing some of that rear its head. And so I think they need to continue to work on that and make sure that they're being as efficient with the ball and as trustworthy with each other as they possibly can be. I think they were shell-shocked a little bit against the Raptors that they were treated the way they were from the officiating. But yet, I think it was a very promising thing that we got blown out in the fourth quarter. We still only lost by three. I was impressed that for most of the game, we hung with it, even though we really should have been blown out because of kind of the, the circumstances. I want to continue to see that too, that no matter what they run into uh, per quarter, that they continue to fight back and keep it close. I'm curious to see how JB sets up the Cavs, especially since we know that Darius is out. My magic hope would be that somehow Darius is playing against the Wizards, but I don't think uh, there are any shooting stars that I'm going to encounter where that would come true by the time that they get to that home game they will have some comfort level with each other i think that mobley had an off-kilter game against the raptors and i think some of that is just chemistry we know that he tweaked his ankle so just chemistry and kind of patience on the floor there were some plays that he made that were just astronomical but at the same time he seemed a little rushed as well kind of like what darius is doing so just everybody needs to calm down a little bit, be patient like what Donovan does, and execute well. Because I think this is their floor, and that's a pretty solid floor when you only lose by three against what some people think will be a, a four seed or a three seed in the East. They could surprise teams. So this is their floor, and I think they can build from here and have Allen and Mitchell be those leaders and execute better have better presence and actually build some of that chemistry to get a win, especially the home game. Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers basketball club podcast. Let's go Cavs.